I thought mediation was a death nail. It's so difficult as a betrayed partner to sit there and listen to your husband talk because quite honestly, everything that comes out of it, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. Mediation in a nutshell is just a process where you can come with the help of someone who's not in the midst of your conflict. Hey Chris, how are you today? Hey Jen. I am good. I'm jonesing for a pumpkin spice latte right now. It's a little chilly outside and I, that just sounds like something that I need. It's more than a want. It's a need. <laughs> I was just going to say, way to identify your need and speak your need. As a matter of fact, our guest today would be very proud of you because your uh, communication was very clear and concise and I will run and get you a pumpkin spice latte right now. I'll be I back. appreciate that. Thank you for validating me. I appreciate that. <laughs> Imagine if we talk like this all the time. No. Actually, we kind of do. We, we kind of do. <laughs> so, friends, on today's show, we had uh, a mediator. His name is Andrew Arthur, and he is a partner in Genesis Christian Mediation in the Portland, Oregon area. And he is a certified mediator and specializes in, um, he's a co-parent specialist, amongst other credentials and and talents and superpowers. So he is going to share with us all about communication styles and how to manage conflict. And gee, we went about 40 minutes and I think we really only skimmed the surface of this topic. Yeah, it was a fascinating conversation as we talked about this concept of conflict management. And I was just thinking about, you know, my husband and I, we have pretty good communication, but there are definitely these times where we are talking about the same subject and talking about completely different things yet at the, at, at the very same time, you know? Mm -hmm. And what I love about some of what Andrew said is, you know, you don't have to wait until you're in the red zone. You don't have to wait until you, you are in this you're crisis, on fire. right? Yeah. You don't have to wait till you're in crisis to really talk about managing communication styles and, and that type of thing. And I think that there have been plenty of times quite honestly, even as of late, where my husband and I could use someone like Andrew in our lives to really kind of help get get us back on course. Because I know when our communication groove is off, it stays off for quite a while. So I really appreciate what Andrew had to say here. I liked what you said off of our recording when you were talking about having someone to help you speak the same language. Mm -hmm. That I've, I've experienced that as well with my husband and other people in my life that are so important to me. And I'm like, are you speaking Japanese? I'm here speaking English. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, <laughs> it was it was really informative. It, I definitely feel like we just skinned the surface. But um, friends, I hope that you will get some good tools and tips and encouragement out of today's conversation. And we'll be sure to have Andrew back another time time for more. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast, your place to reclaim your life after betrayal. My name is Jen Howie. Hey friends, my name is Chris Rocha. Jen and I are pastoral sex addiction professionals and coaching experts with over 20 years combined experience. And we're so glad you're here. On today's podcast, our friend Andrew Arthur is going to teach us how to rap. And we're <laughs> yeah. so excited. <laughs> For real though, I mean, we could do that or 
we can talk about other things. Right, like conflict management. Yes. But just so y'all know, we're we're a little bit uh, giggly uh, right now because uh, we've had a little fun before we hit the record button, button playing with Siri. Andrew's been teaching us tricks that Siri can do. It's quite entertaining. <laughs> And uh, when you get a couple of uh, Enneagram 7s and a 6 that wings to a 7, it's a party. So buckle your seatbelts, friends. It's going to be a great... the party. It's going to be a great episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with that, welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Yes, Andrew. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. I'm so glad. We're so glad you're here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we just dive into the subject of conflict management? Sure. Well, uh, I am a partner and co-owner in a mediation firm called Genesis Christian Mediation. And um, essentially, our hope is to help uh, people, families, churches, nonprofits uh, experience um, the possible connection that can come through a journey of healthy conflict. Um, And so we, we generally aid people and organizations by teaching um, relationship skills, uh, basic skills. Um, but as you can assume with most mediators, we often get called into where conflicts or relationships have, have really become divisive. And so we're trying to help lower lower the threshold of conflict so that repair and, and uh, resolution and reconciliation can happen. Andrew, could you give us an overview of some of the details that you do when you're talking about uh, relationship man- or relationship skills and conflict management? Can you give us a little more information on what that involves or what that might involve? Sure, sure. Uh, and to keep it relevant, um, we wind up doing a lot of work in the addiction space mm-hmm. and with people that are going through trauma because usually trauma and addiction work their way into family systems and relationships overall and cause a lot of pain and hurt. Um, So in that space, um, generally what we're trying to do, if if people are trying to keep their relationship, save the relationship, we're we're first putting together um, a roadmap or in some cases a safety plan of how are we going to, what's the the parameters that we're going to do relationship around? And then we start looking into the the hows and whats of how people are talking to each other, how they're listening to the, to each other. Those are pretty formulative patterns in relationships that sometimes aren't connected to whys or mm-hmm. like emotional health areas or spiritual health. They're just uh, frames with which we learn to communicate based on like the how we grew up. Like what was the, how did people talk at home? How do people talk in the workplace? We bring all those things into our home and it affects how, especially how we listen. Okay. Well, holy smokes, because I'm thinking back to how I grew up. I grew up, um, I was very, um, I just really went with the flow. I was always kind of that person that sort of agreed with whatever the person of the room was saying until, until betrayal. And, um, and then that brought out a different side of communication that I wasn't familiar with. And here I was trying to navigate during betrayal, how to communicate what I was experiencing. But I had this whole family of origin style of communication that I had to wrestle with as I was learning to communicate effectively and the conflict management of my relationship with my husband. 
So could you uh, talk us through the mediation process that you kind of go through? How do you, how do you make sure that there's neutrality and fairness in your mediation session? Um, well, that starts before we actually even get in the room. Um, so when a couple or family first um, contacts me, um, we set up consult calls with each party, right? So um, because mediation is voluntary, whether you're working to save a relationship, whether you're looking at dissolving one um, or somewhere in between, right? Um, mediation is voluntary. And so you have to decide that you want to be a part of that process. And that decision usually comes um, within the context of being able to ask questions, talking with me directly. And so building kind of a rapport um, between each party. Uh, and that's where fairness and neutrality starts. Um, some, you know, we have a perception of fairness and neutrality, probably, at least for me, growing up, like fair was defined as everyone gets the same thing. Mm. But that's not really fair, right? It's not necessarily fairness and neutrality isn't splitting the baby. Neutrality is, right? I'm for both people and both people separately and together. But fairness might be, more one side than the other, <laughs> depending on depending on what what the idea is, how in touch with the parameters of the discussion, right? Saving a marriage is different than dissolving one. The dissolving one has a lot more parameters around it. Um, saving can be very contextual, right? And it can be very free and 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 um, dynamic, so to speak. Um, even in even in just working on conflict skills, that's it's pretty dynamic. Um, but um, from that space, neutrality comes in honoring the voice of both people. And so creating that space starts before they even call. Yeah. So let's say you have a couple coming in. Uh, uh, Discovery Day, D-Day has happened with this couple. It, there's an addiction issue. He's got unwanted sexual behavior. Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's pornography use. It's been going on for decades. And, and she... Um, is the betrayed spouse. So she needs to start a healing process. He needs to start a recovery process, but they're both in trauma. He's got toxic shame he's dealing with, and she can't even formulate words quite yet, but they want to save their marriage. What sort of process do you go through to help this couple be able to communicate effectively, let alone resolve conflict well? Uh, do we have 30 minutes? Or we do. <laughs> we do. Go. Just go. <laughs> well, I'll try. I'll, I'll boil it down to kind of like steps. The first step is really kind of getting an assessment where they're at and uh, reaffirming their desire and commitment to the marriage uh, uh, and then reaffirming their desire and commitment to healing. Right. So that, that first step is really, OK, what are we looking at? And what are people willing to commit to? And that's kind of, I made a reference to a roadmap. That's what a roadmap is, is this is where we're at. These are the things that we're going to agree and commit to uh, as in, in a willingness to pursue this relationship. And maybe that's not like that they're going out on dates in that moment, because maybe that's too difficult. But pursuit, maybe pursuit looks like I am um, committing and agreeing to this um, emotional health plan, right? And so I'm going to be meeting with these people regularly, and we're gonna we're gonna have a check-in call once a month, or we're gonna have that check-in in, in mediation. This really just depends on 
like the level of conflict and things. Um, so that's kind of how we're, what the questions we're asking. So we're looking to establish who their care team is. And because mediation is not the solution in and of itself. Mediation is, a, is part of a concert of care, so to speak. Um, and so we got to make sure every, all, the, all the spaces are filled um, that they've identified, right? We're not, unless they really don't have an understanding of what's going on, like they don't have a CSAT, they don't have a betrayal trauma, a specialized counselor, a coach, right? Then we're going to say, hey, we suggest you could, should think about this. And here's a name or a couple of names that would be, would be good for you to make a phone call. Just get, get, um, just get some information. We're, it, part of mediation is the idea that the mediator isn't the expert in all these things. We're aware of stuff and we really understand conflict. But we want you to be getting information about your your treatment, your health, finances, or in some cases legal, right? CPA, all kinds of stuff. We're we're constantly referring out and and identifying care partners. Yeah. The way you describe it right now makes me think of of sort of a zoomed out picture. Like you you have a view of the entire map and where we need to go, and you see a potential roadblock and. And then like people like Chris and I would be people that would be, you know, if you were to zoom in closer, I'm showing this with my hands, no one can see what I'm doing. But if you zoom in closer, that that's where Chris and I come in is to navigate the next turn or the next step or whatever. And you've got the bigger picture to be able to, to help navigate the, the entire thing. That's what I envision. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's like a, a wheel and spoke, right? So don't, but don't think about mediation as the center. Think of the couple as the center. And then they have all these spokes that are connected to the center, but also on the outside connected to each other. Because mm. we've learned, I mean, how many times have you heard about a relationship where they each get their own individual counseling? Yes. And that doesn't bring them closer. It brings them, it actually causes further division. Yeah. Because, you know, right hand and left hand aren't talking. Yeah. So yeah. that wheel is a better, a better analogy or illustration of that from a, I guess visual picture fine. because connections on the in, on the interior and the, <laughs> the exterior. All right, fine. Yours is better. Yours I love better. I love that you said concert of care. I've been in situations like with some medical issues where I've got like a health team. But concert of care, that's so poetic. And I love this metaphor that you've got going on. So I, I'm kind of picturing it like you are a conductor of sorts and you're making sure that that this couple has every part of the orchestra filled like you said every seat filled with the the players or the yeah the players that they need to to have a full recovery is that accurate that that's that's pretty close i would put okay. the couple still in the conductor chair because they're it. the ones responsible for it but uh, I I would probably maybe maybe be in the on the side of the stage as the program guy like the you know in movies you see the talent agency right who's who's recruiting cast and and key partner that was that's probably more of the role uh, because we as a conductor you're playing the music that's that's got to be the couple if they're not playing this if they're not the ones on the instruments playing the tunes or or showing the different parts and things like that, they're mm -hmm. they're not like taking ownership, right? You can don't work. Uh, a great therapist uh, once told me, Stephen Grant, uh, CSAT up in Vancouver, never work harder than your client. Mm, that's good.
That's excellent. Andrew, in, in your opinion, what are some of the misconceptions about uh, conflict management and how would you debunk or clarify them? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. It, it feels like we can all recall a time, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know, some time ago where like certainly my parents' generation, if you went to counseling, you had a problem. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, they're in counseling. Right? I mean, how often have those been weaponized words? You need counseling. Right. Oh, right. right. <laughs> no, I got to piggyback on that and just say that my husband and I were just watching an episode of uh, it's an Apple TV um, for all mankind. It's about it's an alternate reality show that if uh, the Russians won the the race to the moon. And uh, this guy gets trapped on the moon and he has this whole mental breakdown. And on this is in the, in the 60s and on the sly, he goes to a therapist and when and his wife accuses him of, of having an affair. And he's like, no, I was at this therapist. And he finally hands her the business card and says, look, I was at this at this therapist's office. And she she comes over, crawls across the floor, holds his face in her hands with two with both of her hands and says, Oh my gosh, why are you seeing a head shrink? Do you know that if NASA finds out you will lose your job? Do you know that you'll lose your reputation, you know, in in our circle of friends? This is devastating news to her and she's like, "Oh my gosh, this is horrifying." Whereas now it's kind of cool if you're going to a therapist, <laughs> you're that's strong and that's that's valiant. Yeah. It's crazy I, different times. I love that you shared that story because that is probably the biggest myth we have to bust around mediation is that going to mediation means you have a problem, right? Your, your business is, there's a big dispute, uh, small claims, right? Yeah. Or uh, it's time for a divorce. Yeah. This is the worst of the worst. Right. So mediation is kind of that landing spot when everything has fallen apart. Well, but that's simply not true. Mediation, in a nutshell, is just a process and a place where you can come with the help of someone who's not in the midst of your conflict, help you find a pathway to peace. Uh, Corinthians talks about it. I mean, Paul references mediation a couple times in the scripture. Um, he asks the question, don't you have wise people within your church that can that can help you with your problems. That's uh, that's Corinthians six. Uh, why are you taking it to people outside the church? Right. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. Philippians, he talks about, oh, go see this person. She can help you to figure it out and 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 be able to resume relationship. Um, so we know, you know, peacemaking is a is a biblical concept, but we we sometimes think that that's like the like the the red zone, right? <laughs> okay, we have to go there. No problem. But no, mediation really is just practicing that because, frankly, we don't we don't get taught these skills. These skills are something that that happened through I don't know, lack of a better word, osmosis, right? Good yeah. or bad. And so, going to a gym to deal with conflict requires new and different skills, right? And you have to work at it. Similar to like if you're if you love conflict, you've got to learn to love it a little bit less so that you're not always seeking it. If you really hate it, you've got to learn that it's not going to kill you. It's going to be okay. And there are some things in both scenarios. Those are extremes, right? There are tools 
and and techniques you can learn to help you kind of get yourself more towards the middle, which is which is important. And listening, the way we listen, is a big part. Mm-hmm. Are there yeah. are there any other myths that you feel need debunking, or is that the primary one that is most significant? That's the primary one. That's mm-hmm. the big. One. If we can get past that, then then people start to understand the opportunity that it can present. I will say that when uh, when I met you and learned what you did and you and we became friends, you shifted my understanding of what mediation is. I thought mediation was you always hear about it in divorce cases or when a business is dissolving and people are fighting and they just cannot communicate anymore. So it's always sort of a a death knell. Um, I, I've never looked at mediation because you, you think a counselor or a therapist is going to be able to help you communicate, but sometimes they don't have these skills. So I've never thought of mediation as a tool to have in your toolbox to move things forward in a positive way, in a collective way and, and in a harmonious way. And so that's, um, that's a game changer for me. I, I would have never thought to have called a mediator to help me get through a hard time or, you know, I'm one of those people. And I think, uh, Enneagram sevens usually are, we hate conflict. So like, we'll avoid it at all costs and, you know, assessment aside, there are so many people out there that just, just recoil and want to crawl under a rock instead of deal with conflict. So it's good to know that you guys are out there and can help us learn how to not be afraid of that, but to see it as an opportunity instead. I think two really big uh, signal light um, difficulties come in um, how quickly we make assumptions. And also that goes into our listening, just a little bit of listening stat, right? Um, We spend about 80 percent of our time you can look these up on google right 80 percent of our time communicating roughly 45 to 50 55 percent of that depending on what study you choose right tells us that's that's how much of that communication time we spend listening but only two percent of us in the population according to these studies have ever received any formal training on how to listen and most i would say most recently we typically look at listening through the lens of active listening. Oh, am I, my body posture, my eyes, am I reframing, paraphrasing back? Am I, am I listening attentively, right? Am I not fidgeting on my phone? And all those things are super helpful. And that's active listening. But, we've, but some of the, our more modern listening experts have kind of encouraged us to move beyond that because um, their uh, perception of that is that many of those things are how Someone speaking can judge if if a if a listener is hearing them, not if they're understanding. And so they're saying we're going to change this perspective around that's orientated on the speaker to orientated on the listener and ask the listener, what are you doing to help the person talking figure out what they're trying to tell you? And the reason there's that question is we've learned from neuroscience that our own ability to speak and communicate is backwards. We talk at an average of about, in Portland anyways, uh, (laughs) 150 words per minute. There's actual studies that say that, 150 words per minute. Well, our brain, we think, and this is an average because there's a really wide range on the thinking part. We, The average person thinks at 900 words a minute. So we are trying to take 900 words of thoughts in a single minute 
and condense them down into 150. While the average listener wants to respond in 60 seconds to 120 seconds, yeah, it's broken. How is that supposed to work? So modern listening experts are saying, hey, listener, help the speaker try to figure it out what it is through clarifying questions, right? Don't make assumptions. Help them figure it out. Ask good questions so that you can hear better and the speaker can communicate actually what they're trying to think. So if we can get, if we can get that communication quandary worked out in our relationships, how transformative is that? Mm. That's crazy. Like neuroscience is against us. It's so difficult as a betrayed partner to sit there and listen to your husband talk because quite honestly, everything that comes out of it, if his mouth is moving, he's lying, right? That's we've, we've heard that before. Like if an addict's mouth is moving, it's lying. And, and so as a betrayed spouse coming into a scenario that you're talking about where I'm going to actively listen, um, for me, it played out a lot of, of like just being quiet, letting him say what he's got to say. And mm-hmm. then quite honestly, if I'm going to be honest, disproving everything he's saying because he sounds stupid because he's just lying and he's a jerk, right? Those are, and I realize that maybe that doesn't make me the ideal client for um, mediation, or maybe it does. Maybe it makes me the perfect client to learn some of these skills. But something that um, that has been, that is, this is an area that has been incredibly difficult for me because it was very triggering every time my spouse would talk, well, I think I could probably put a period there every single time my spouse would talk mm. um, because it, his actions spoke so loudly mm-hmm. in our marriage that that this idea of listening from a, and I'm not, okay, I'm going to back up just a little bit. I'm not saying that I talk all the time, although some may argue that, Um but but it is really difficult to sit there and listen to his side of things because it often sounds like justification, 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 which triggers the unfairness button button and um, the lack of affirmation button that I'm experiencing experiencing in my trauma. And this this question I don't know if you can really answer, but how do you manage that? A woman sitting there listening to her husband talk about himself when I just want to really just kind of throat punch them and saying what you're saying is so stupid and it's so invalidating to my experience. So how, as a betrayed spouse, do I listen well while sitting in that completely triggered state? Yeah, well, I'm going to answer that question by by talking about the second kind of blinking thing in communication that we have to work through. And that's because what you're hitting, it just hits right on it. So if if someone if the person who did the betraying is listening and all they're listening to is to respond, defend, dismiss, marginalize, right? That is not listening, right? So in a scenario where, where basic listening can't happen, um, we, you can't be in the same room. That's going to be triggered. So we put them in caucus mediation <laughs> and work through a mediator to talk about that. But true listening um, we just talked about kind of science behind it. It's, it's so that this is why the science is so critical to understand why validation, which is the second thing, is so critical. So if if the person person who committed the betrayal can't validate your experience, how can listening happen? He's he's not yet listening, 
right? Mm. So how are you going to be able to listen if he's not listening? And that's really the first dynamic we have to address in mediation is, is the person who committed the betrayal actually listening? Mm. Right? And, and his, and sometimes I work with it switched where the woman's created the cause of betrayal, him or her uh, can listen. That's the first step to unlocking listening for the other person. Because right? the one in these mediations, the person who is speaking is the person is often the person who was betrayed. Mm. That's the first person talking. So if listening, I can't move to response if listening hasn't even happened. And mm. all all the other person wants to do is defend, 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 right? We know Gottman told us, right? What are the four horsemen of relationship? Defensiveness, criticism, contempt. Stonewalling. Stonewalling. <laughs> right? So if, if out of the gate, right, we're in the defensive position, then communication's not happening, listening's not happening, right? So we have to fix that piece. So working on those two things, especially in the area of addiction, betrayal, things like that, like if you can hit those pieces, you're 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 gonna do well. So don't make assumptions and listen mm-hmm. to validate. Listen to validation. Validation is a key part of listening. We can't learn how to validate. I wouldn't say listen to validate, Mm. learn how to validate. One of the, one of the myths around validation is it means agreement. Whoa. Validation does not mean agreement. I'm going to use the skateboard analogy. So you're, you're sitting out front of your home and you see this this guy or gal skateboarding down the side of the street and oh my gosh, boom, they hit a rut or a rock or something and they go flying, tumbling off the deal. Well, sympathy would be, oh my word, I remember when I skateboarded, I too fell and really hurt my knee. It was horrible. It sucked. Man, I am so sorry. You were in pain because you're referencing your own story. That's sympathy. Empathy would be you're sitting there watching this and you're like, oh my word. Oh, well, bloody knees, that tumble. Oh, that I could totally see. I've never skateboarded, but I, I could totally see how that hurts. I'm so sorry. Let me help you up. Validation. You don't even need to reference your own story or be able to understand it. It's like, wow, that person is expressing pain. That hurts. I am so sorry that that's happening. Mm. So subtly, sympathy and empathy you put yourself on the same stage as the person who's having the experience. Validation is not getting on the stage and saying, you're in pain. I'm sorry. That, that is so good. The best way I've ever heard that described because for so long I, I have struggled to validate my husband um, because I thought it required me to be on the same stage and it doesn't. It's, it's actually a, a choice. Mm-hmm. It's choose. an acknowledgement. Yeah. It's a, it's a choice to out. acknowledge. Yeah. Right. Nice. That's powerful. So can you give us any tools or techniques that you find useful in, in promoting this type of conflict management, whether it be in your office or simply at home? Are there any specific tools or techniques that you find valuable that I can implement today? Yeah. Um, the first is start to recognize how you deal with distraction. So modern listening experts would say that the primary barrier to listening well is how we deal with distraction. Because let's face it, 
we all deal with distraction. One of the other neuroscience pieces is that we can think, not think, but we can listen at 400 words a minute. So 400 words a minute to 150 means we can, we can listen a lot faster than people talk. And so yeah. by nature, by our very own makeup, right, we, uh, we are prone for distraction. So if you can start to recognize how you deal with distraction uh, and, and like an onion, start to address those layers, right? Some of the nomenclature um, that, uh, that experts use are like lost listener. Um, Oscar Tromboli, a deep, deep listening, he calls a lost listener. That's someone who's got a um, hundred different things going on in their brain and which one do I do? And if that's you, learn to recognize that and re-engage. You know, re-engage in the conversation. If you're, if you typically wind up interrupting people when they talk because you've already got a response ready to go, and you're like, "Oh, but I got this." Oh, well, start start learning to squeeze your hands and play with your toes so that you know, hold on to that information and set it aside. Just in your mind, visualize I've got this, and it's cooked. It's ready to go. I'm gonna set it aside to see what else, a curiosity, Brene Brown would say, right? A curiosity, maybe there's something I haven't heard, right? So start to eliminate or find ways to, to deal with distraction because that will help you to listen better. And when we listen better, it really does. It's like a, a conflict filter. So much conflict is avoided when mm. people commit to listening. Mm -hmm. uh, the second tool I would say is understand your conflict style. How do I typically do conflict? And am, is that style appropriate for the situation? Like, for example, if I generally like to accommodate people, right? Like I'm people first and many of us are, right? Oh, sure. No problem. Whatever you want. Right? Oh, okay. yeah. oh, yeah, no problem. No, I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah, yeah, I'll drive the kids. Yeah, right? Realize that about yourself. And, and ask yourself, are these actually areas that I'm accommodating or am I not using my voice? Is there a place we can go to find out what conflict style we have? V visit us. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, you can go to our website. You can schedule a time to talk with us about it. Uh, conflict styles come from a Thomas Kilman model. of con They're pretty universally accepted. There's, you can rabbit hole on them. Uh, but to really understand uh, them, contact uh, our mediation firm so we can help you with that. Because um, uh, some of the conflict style work that's out there is really based on negotiation and not mm. necessarily relationships. So um, we train and teach people to apply this to the idea of relationship. Um, and it's, it's really successful. It's really helpful to, uh, to be able to understand that. That's good advice. And I will definitely put your contact information in the show notes, listeners. So uh, look look below and you'll see how to get a hold of Andrew. Andrew, as we close this up, this has been so good. I feel like this is just a surface level, though, of information that we've covered today in this 40 minutes. So um, yeah, we'll probably have to have you back on again and do a little deeper dive. But in closing, is there any encouragement or, or words that you would offer to the woman or the gentleman who's listening and they're really having a hard time with conflict or with communication in the relationship? What word of encouragement could you offer them today? There's a team of people waiting to help you. There mm -hmm. is there there you have a tribe. You have a place. Like you don't have to do this on your own. It's it's so it can feel so isolating. But, but that's not true. There are people out there willing to help, 
willing to give of their time and of their own experience and their own trauma with the things that they've learned uh, and betrayal uh, to help you um, land in the spot you want to be. Yeah. Recover well. Mm-hmm. Love that. Thank you, Andrew. That actually brought a tear to my eye. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being here today. And and thank you listeners for tuning in and being a part of our podcast community. Your support is valuable and we are here to serve you. Remember that healing is a journey, not a destination. And as we navigate the path of recovery and transformation together, know that you're never alone. Just like Andrew said, you're never alone. Stay strong, stay hopeful, and keep working toward your brighter, empowered future. Until next time, Take care and keep embracing your journey of healing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Betrayal Recovery Transformation Podcast with your hosts, Chris Rocha and Jen Howie. We hope you've been helped and encouraged. If you value the content we shared today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. This helps others find the show. Need personalized guidance? Please contact Chris or Jen for transformative coaching. This episode has been brought to you by HealingWithTheHowies.com, WatermarkCoach.com, and with the support of Pure Life Alliance Ministries.